I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When I first started my business over 10 years ago, the way in which I monetized my skills and expertise was actually teaching people how to use social media for business. So I started out way back when Facebook was like three or four years old and people weren't really using it in that way. And I loved teaching people tactics of how to tell great stories, of how to position themselves as a personal brand, and to really create more credibility and attract leads and referrals and clients. And yet, even though that's what I did for several years, I still struggle with social media. I'm just going to put it out there. And in particular, Instagram. It is a application and platform that I have a love-hate relationship with. I love what it started out at. I used to love looking at all the beautiful photos that were posted up there and scrolling through the feed. And it felt like a place that I could just take myself away to this wonderland of beautiful photos. And then over time, I've seen it be completely bombarded with people shoving things at you and selling things and posting all these amazing, hey, look at my life and really not getting a ton of value or meaning out of it. And so today, we're going to challenge all that. I have brought on a guest who is not only an Instagram fiend, but she uses it in a completely beautiful human way. And I think it's going to change your mind around using this tool and other social media to help build your own brand and your business or side hustle or professional career. So if that sounds interesting to you, as well as how she has managed to do this for herself, stay tuned. Are you tapping into your potential? Are you then taking that potential and turning it into a purposeful and profitable online offering so you can impact more people, share your skills and expertise, and make a dent in the world? And are you doing this while living a life that fills you with purpose, happiness, and opportunities for growth? This may all sound too good to be true, and I am telling you, it isn't. These are the big questions that I seek to answer on The Untap Show, a podcast for go-getting humans who know that more is possible for them in life and who want to make real changes and live up to and beyond their human potential. In this weekly podcast, I share nuggets of wisdom on how to do this, combined with inspiring interviews with everyday humans who are doing this right now so that we can all learn from each other. I'm your host, Natalie Sisson, a best-selling author, podcaster, blogger, lifelong learner, triathlete and lover of handstands and who took her humble blog back in 2010 and somehow managed to turn it into a multiple six-figure business by creating different revenue streams based around my skills, talents and knowledge. And I know that this is possible for you too. So every single week, that's what you're going to hear here on this podcast to give you inspiration, motivation, strategy and tactics to do this for yourself and to lead a purpose-driven life. So let's dive in to this week's show. So Elise Dharma is a girl after my own heart. In fact, I think she's probably taken over what my own heart used to be all about, which is being a digital nomad, having the choice and freedom to do whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, running a business purely online and tapping into social media to monetize your skills and expertise. She lives in Tirana, Canada, but a few years ago, she was basically itching to get away from Canada. So even though she had a day job, she started doing Instagram accounts and helping out some of her fellow employees who were wanting to build other things on the side. And soon she got so popular with that and she was actually really helping people and they kept asking her to do more and more that she ended up freelancing in it. And then fast forward to five years and she runs her own 
agency doing this for others called Canopy. And she coaches and educates people over at elisedharma.com. So she took what was a skill set that she kind of grew through the company that she was working at. She then worked with clients to leverage those skills more and learn even more. And then she started growing people's Instagram accounts to like over 100,000 people in terms of the following in really short amounts of time. And then at one point she woke up and went, heck, why aren't I doing this for myself? And so this is the story that we're talking about today. How has Elise gone from in a day job to freelancing to her own agency and her own personal brand? And how can you leverage social media and in particular use Instagram in the right way? We cover off on a lot of great topics in here. I personally love her story. She's got a great style, a great humility to her, and she's just a really fantastic teacher. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Untapped Podcast. Let's just dive in. Elise Dama is in the house. I am so damn excited we finally made this happen. Welcome to the Untapped Podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here too. I am really excited because I have been wanting to share your story with my audience for so long. I just think that what you've done and the way in which you've gone through your journey to become where you are now today is a real influencer and a personal brand with this expertise in Instagram, which let's face it, everybody wants to know how to freaking use it correctly is just a really beautiful story and one that's just so, I guess, will resonate with so many people who are trying to figure out their way right now to get paid to be them and to do impactful mm-hmm. work. So do you want to share a little bit about your story and then we'll dive more into it? Sure. Yeah, I would love to. And in fact, just speaking to you right now is kind of a full circle moment, which you probably get a lot because you were just so early back in the days of being a digital nomad. And I definitely knew about the suitcase entrepreneur brand back in the time when I was reading Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, which was 2012. I was a nine to five employee. I was a recently new graduate from university. I had done a degree in radio and television arts. So I actually wanted to become a broadcast journalist. I thought that was the bee's knees to be on TV and to be that robot in a suit. You, you know, I'm had... really good at that, by the way. Just I could see you on front of the news night going, I'm Elise Tama. That's the news. No. I know. <laughs> I actually have to shake that off because when, you know, as we were chatting earlier about YouTube videos, I'm trying to be like a normal person and not a journalist robot, um, like with shuffling my papers and stiffening my brow or whatnot. Um, so I'm really working on not acting like that. Um, but I think the years of training, they're still there. But I had a really fun time with that degree because I had originally started studying business and then I just ditched that because I thought that was the smart path, the, the, the right path to choose. And I just chose a program that I really enjoyed. So with radio and television arts, I ended up learning the beginnings of digital media. I studied screenwriting. So, oh my gosh, like that's a huge skill to have in my business today because hello, you're writing copy all the time. I also learned video production and video editing, which is more and more in my business today. So Hmm. that was my early days in my twenties, but I was, you know, after a year in that job, I was itching like two weeks vacation was not enough. I was already obsessed with travel because I'd done a Kentucky trip back in the day, which was my first, I mean, if I go further back, I was raised Mormon. So I was in a very, I was raised in a very conservative, big family. The path was set. You get married, you have kids. That's it. You live happily ever after. But travel really cracked me open from an early age at 18. And in my 20s, I just became obsessed. So when I felt trapped again in my day job, 
I read the four hour work week and I was like, what am I going to do? So I considered creating a video production company actually, because that was my skill set. And I really was stuck on this idea of, well, I don't have $10,000 right now to buy video cameras. And also that doesn't allow me to have the nomadic lifestyle. Um, So I was really stuck on that for a while. And then by accident, in my place of work, I was working in a tech incubator for startups for a university. By accident, one of the people in the incubator said, hey, Elise, you know Twitter, you know Facebook, because I was their social media marketer at the time. And he said, can you help me grow my new e-commerce brand on social media? And I was like, okay, I could do that. I don't need any cameras for that. (laughs) And this was back in 20. 12. So Instagram was a baby platform then. And he had a fashion brand. So really crazy all over printed um, shirts and sweaters that teens loved. So I wasn't into Instagram at that time. But when he wanted me to grow his Instagram account, I said yes, I had my very first client, my freelance client on the side of my day job. And I just figured it out. And within six months, we hit a hundred thousand followers. Um, back then it was the wild, wild west. Um, we jumped on influencer marketing really, really early. So a large part of my job was reaching out to other influencers and sending them product and making sure they were promoting the brand. So we just grew. Oh, I miss those days. Um, <laughs> what are you most yeah, surprised about them? Oh, we were, I was just so naive then. <laughs> like mm. the things, the accounts that I would have wished I had grown then You know, like I did dabble in creating accounts just for fun. I remember creating a donut enthusiast account because donuts were really popular. There was no like plan. Why would I need a community of donut enthusiasts, right? (laughs) What was I going to do with that? There was no plan. Maybe sell it to Dunkin' Donuts is the key. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I could have been a possibility. But like, obviously my business looks a lot different now. And had I, had I jumped on, you know, building up um, a network for freelancers or women in business, or I don't know anything like, yeah, there was just a world of possibility then. And I had no idea. I don't think any one of us really knew that Instagram was going to be so relevant. What? Seven years later at that time, it was a platform for teens. Like that's why the, the fashion brand did so well, because teens were obsessively on Instagram then. So yeah, fast forward nine months, I quit my job. I had enough clients, freelance clients on the side were just kind of spread through my network. And I started talking about it a little bit. I had four or five clients so I could justify quitting my job. And that was in 2014. And Mm -hmm. since then, it's just been full-time entrepreneurship going full steam ahead. So And you also have like a media agency, essentially. So you didn't just kind of stay there and do the freelance bit. At which point did you switch over into going, hang on a minute, I can really, you know, I need to expand beyond myself. I need to scale. I've got more clients that I can handle. Which point did that happen for you? Because that must have been pretty scary as well. Yeah. Well, the idea was in my head to form an agency when I quit my job, because at that point I had been a freelancer. And then when I quit, all this insecurity just washed over me because all of a sudden I was home working by myself. I didn't have my network of coworkers anymore. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I went through this crazy breakup with my boyfriend, which set me on a tailspin. So, which also brought me back to travel, which is kind of my own eat, pray, love story. But at that time, it was just such a confusing time because I had 
built this business on the side. I was super excited to grow it full time. And then my personal life took over. Like I couldn't even focus on my business because I was so distraught with what was going on personally. So for the first couple months of my business, I was just surviving. It wasn't about growing. It was, I hope I don't lose these clients because I'm feeling depressed, but I'm just doing the bare minimum that I need to get the work done. Then I went traveling for two and a half months. So that looking back was my first digital nomad trip, but I wasn't, I wasn't looking for it to be that way. I was just going through a breakup and I needed to be halfway around the world. (laughs) Um, And so once I got back home, I started actually seeing a therapist. I talked to someone for eight months. I was paying out of pocket. Of course I had no benefits, but that really helped me sort myself out personally and internally. And that's when the shift happened to be like, okay, I'm ready to focus on business again. And, um, you know, that's when I developed the brand Canopy, the website. That's when I really established it as an agency. Behind the scenes, it was virtually the same business. It was me doing work for clients. But I felt like I wasn't official until I had that brand and that website. So that took a year to happen. Thank you so much for sharing that in all honesty. And it's just, I'm really glad you invested in looking after you first, because it sounds like that got you into a place where you were stable, you had your confidence back, you had the right mindset going into it. And that's, I mean, as we both know, that's the most critical thing that we all need to draw upon on the roller coaster ride. And I'm sure it hasn't been all plain sailing since then, but I'm really glad you set up the foundations for yourself. Otherwise it could have been a really different story, right? I love the name Canopy. What's the meaning behind that for you? To me, it represents growth and it's twofold. It's helping to grow my clients' brands, but of course, I'm running my own business and there's a lot of growth that happens there, business growth and personal growth. And then with the visual of a canopy of trees, I really loved it because I had been traveling and I got to spend, you know, my cold February in Bali. So I really loved any visual that was of the tropics or of the beach. Mm-hmm. So it just fit, you know, even when I look back then, this was 2014, this was before it was super, super popular to have a tropical motif or a tropical brand, but it just fit my lifestyle then. So yeah, I actually worked with an agency to find that name and mm-hmm. I'm really glad I did. Yeah. It's funny because when I first came across you and your website and you had this where in the world is a lease kind of thing and I was like, man, this girl's so on. Like I just felt such a kindred spirit with you because I used to say where in the world is Natalie Sisson and the whole come in San Diego and just the fact that you're obviously a digital nomad. But I felt when I saw you, I was like, this is this might sound really strange, not this is the new me, but this is the type of person who's taking over the suitcase entrepreneur digital nomad sphere. And at that point, I very much, I think when I saw your site, I was like, yeah, I'm hanging up my boots. Not in a bad way. It was just like, yeah, my time here is done. There's all these amazing, incredible millennials and young people coming in with all this enthusiasm who are right in the heart and the thick of it, traveling the world, running their businesses. And I just knew at that point, I was like, that's no longer me. It was really, it was cool, actually. It was actually a really lovely thing to look at you and almost go, the torch has been passed on to far more capable and brilliant people and be okay with it. And then also to sit back and go, oh crap. So what does that mean I do? So I totally, um, yeah, I just wanted to share that with you because I don't know if I've ever said that, but just so much of your site was like, oh, I would have done this if I'd had the photography at the time or been, yeah, yeah, there. So it was really cool. It's funny for you to say that because I've had other people say when they've looked at my site, you know who you remind me of? Natalie Sisson, the suitcase entrepreneur. (laughs) I was like, oh, really? So honestly, like I had known about you for years. So maybe there was some level of 
seeping into my subconscious brain, like, cause your brand was, I thought it was brilliant. The name suitcase entrepreneur, boom. You know, I saw you as a Ted talk speaker and you just, you were just legitimately living all over the world. So maybe I was channeling you and who knows it's funny. And even when we met eventually last summer in Lisbon, I was looking at the pictures of us after I'm like, you know what? We look like we could be related. <laughs> like we, there's some similar features going on. So yeah, I think there is some, some connection on many levels there. I'll take that. Cause you're gorgeous and young. So I'll just, I'll be like the oldest sister. Um, that was so much fun in Lisbon. And that's where you were running. I think it was your first retreat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I'd love to sort of talk about that journey from, so you did the, the client based agency work for a long, 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 long time. And then you've moved into being much more of a personal brand and influencer. So where did that shift happen? Was it that you were like, I'm kind of done working with these clients and building their brand when I could be building mine? Or was it that you just knew you wanted to scale? What was the sort of impetus for you to, to make that shift? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did the digital nomad thing for a couple of years and I wasn't full time like you. I had my home base, but I would travel about every four months of the year. Um, and that <laughs> That was good for me because I am a creature of habit. I'm a homebody. The thought of living out of the suitcase stressed me out. So what that business gave me was just the ability to pick up when a trip opportunity came up, you know, whatever, just pure flexibility. So in 2016, I was like, hmm, I have made the same amount of revenue every year. This location independence is great, but you know, if I'm working way harder than I did in my day job, but I'm not making more money something going on here. So I decided I wanted to increase my business's revenue and I wasn't running a personal brand at that time. I was hiding behind the canopy brand. I didn't want to be misconstrued as someone who was leading with how she looked or leading with her as a person. I wanted my work to speak for itself. But looking back, that was, it was my own insecurity, basically. Long story short. And do you mind being frank on what your company was making as revenue around then and roughly, like I know you said you were working really hard, but it was similar to what you were getting when you were in your job. Yeah. So when I was working in my job, I was making about $50,000 a year. And then in 2016, I realized that I was pretty much making 75,000 a year with my business. And you know, that's when the whole glorified six figure mark became more alluring and uh, I wanted to hit it for no other reason, but I just wanted to know what it'd be like to run a business that was making more revenue. So I thought, well, I need more clients. I always had about five to seven clients and that was enough for me to manage, but I thought I'm ready for more clients. I'll bring on more team members. And I thought I will grow my own personal account on Instagram as proof, as a portfolio piece to other clients that I can do this. And yes, I had my other client accounts, but there was something about owning my own account that felt powerful. So in 2016, the summer of 2016, I committed to turning myself into a personal brand seriously and I used all my travel photos to support the images that I was going to post. I teamed up with other people in the travel space on Instagram. So we kept each other accountable. We posted every single day. Like when I look back on that growth, I posted every day for nine months straight. It was just a hard and fast commitment. And by the end of that summer, I think I'd reached 30,000 followers. And by the end of the year, I'd reached 60 or 70 or something like that. So it was like a hard 
growth. And now I'm just sort of riding it and stabilized, but it was purely to be a portfolio piece to get more clients. And as we know, that worked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny. I attracted an audience of followers who didn't want my agency services. Shocking. They weren't e-commerce entrepreneurs. They were mostly women like me from a couple years back, like, you know, they had a day job or they wanted to travel as much as me. So I started getting a lot of questions about how are you traveling and how are you growing on Instagram? That's when I realized that I could hire a business coach. It didn't even cross my mind before that. I was just in this mode of, well, I can figure this out. I have friends I can ask and I can figure this out. But in, after the, in the fall of 2016, I was like, you know what? There is someone who's been here before they could tell me what to do. So I posted in a few Facebook groups and got a few business coach recommendations. And then I hired my first coach that fall. And I said, I have something here. I don't know what it is. There's people following me. What do I do? What do I create? What is this? And um, in four months, she helped me do my first webinar, create a personal brand website, elisedarma.com, create a coaching package and get the bones of my first course together as well. That's awesome. So that was a fantastic investment, right? And I really love that you took that step. I don't know how often we all sit here trying to figure stuff out by ourselves or with free information or by following too many people and then getting completely confused in our mind about all the different types of information. No, you should be doing this. No, you should be doing these things. So I really like that you just like, wait a minute, I've got something here. Let's tap into its potential. Then you picked some of the avenues that felt good to you. You know, you've got this broadcasting background, webinars, perfect. You can do a lot of that instinctively you're really good at it and because people were already following you and just wanting to be more like you let's face it personal brands often are you also wanted to educate and share and inspire along the way so at which point has the that the elisedharma.com overtaken canopy or do they exist in their own rights pretty successfully now Mm -hmm. elise dharma the brand overtook my agency when i created my first digital course so was the spring of 2017 after I had established the website. I created a free Facebook group. I loved the group when it was like 500 to 800 people. It was just like the best people, the biggest fans. I, I did all my market research in that group. And then they were also the people who I launched my first course to. So I created like a five-day free challenge. I ran the challenge. I pre-sold the idea of the course. I didn't create it. I pre-sold it and I told them I would be doing it live with them. And to my complete and utter shock, about 50 people signed up just from that launch. And I remember seeing the first sale come through as I was, oops, as I was still live on Facebook. And my reaction was to feel sick. I felt sick, like almost this overwhelming feeling of now I need to deliver. And it was me coming face to face with my own insecurities and questions of, can I, you know, I know this works for me. Can I teach this to someone else? Well, I'm going to go find out. So I I structured the program so that people had to sign up by a certain date. And then I was releasing each pillar of the course week by week. So I'd release one and then I'd create the next one and release it, you know, do lives and all that great stuff. And, you know, I ran the course live. I was exhausted after, but then slowly people started getting results. And I thought, oh, okay, this is awesome. Like people are really happy with this. I don't know why I had this. Well, I was a straight A student. So 
like good is never good enough basically. So I've always had this sinking feeling that whatever I create is not going to be good enough. And then when people started getting results, I was really surprised. And then to be honest, I didn't know what to do with the course after that. It just sort of sat there. I didn't know how to keep selling it. I didn't know how to keep promoting it. And then in 2018 is when I really honed in on creating a webinar funnel. And that's probably when the revenue from the course became higher and more consistent and overpassed my agency's revenue. That's awesome. I love hearing that story. I'm fascinated that you felt sick at that moment. Isn't it interesting how we all have different reactions? And I'm really glad you shared that because I remember my first ever webinar with, I think it was 100 people signed up, 30 who were live and one person who bought live. And I remember Mm. seeing that and being like, Hallelujah. I was super sick at the time. I could barely speak, but I still had to run this webinar because I was like, they're going to be there live. And I remember being excited that somebody, somebody was willing to invest in me and back me with this online course. I'd done well with clients and kind of doing boot camps, et cetera, live workshops with people. But finally putting it online felt like really, really good. I guess, yeah, it was the moment which I was like, I can do this. This is something. And unlike you, I didn't pre-sell it. I had run it as a workshop. I had then gone and recorded the whole thing and made it all, you know, great. And then was trying to sell it on this webinar, which I highly don't recommend now. But so that's probably why I was elated rather than sick because I'd done all the work and I was like, I might earn something back from this. How much was your course um, at the time? Because that's crazy that you had 50 people sign up. It was 197 initially. And I knew it was going to, I didn't want to price it so low that people wouldn't value it. Right. I wanted it to be an investment so that people would do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also knew that once I did that first beta launch that I would sell it at 300. So I told them, you know, this is going to be 297, but this is your chance to get in at 197. And, uh, I think the feeling of sickness came in because I pre-sold it. It, it, strategy that works, but it's not for the faint of heart. And you just need to know that you can work hard, deliver, work with deadlines. It's totally possible. But I think that was the big factor. Yeah. I mean, it's a great motivating force to actually get it done. You've also validated the proof. You've just paid yourself $10,000 to now go ahead and launch this course and make it kick ass versus if nobody had bought, then you hadn't done any of that upfront work. You hadn't invested tons and you could go back to the drawing board and go, right, what wasn't right, the messaging, et cetera. So that's why I'm a huge fan of pre-selling something. And if you think about the startup world, I mean, I was a mentor at a startup weekend recently and we got everybody there that they stand up, they pitch an idea and then people join their team and say, I like that idea. Let's see if we can make it happen. And in the next two days is just about validating whether that idea is even worthwhile and going out, walking the streets, asking people, looking at pricing, looking at competitors before you do anything. And I feel like if I look back at my journey, I did do that, but not quite as intensively. And these days when I see people going, I think this is a great idea. And then they do all this work behind it. I'm like, please just ask people first if this is something that they need. Yet you had what several years by that point of people following you and seeing what you've done. So you knew instinctively, okay, there's something here. I feel this is the right offering. And then you made it happen. So congrats. You're just kind of like the perfect example of how to do it. And the point is you also got results for clients, which is another massive aspect of learning too many courses out there where people don't have any takeaways. They don't take action. They don't get results. Um, they've really just been sold on a hope and a dream. And that also is infuriating. And I'm sure I can put my hand up for sometimes not creating courses that got the result that I wanted people to have. So what do you think, along with your straight A student sort of mindset, helped you 
deliver a course that is actually getting results? Is it because it is so niche and specific and you can tangibly show people the steps? What do you think it is about your course in particular that works for people? I think a large part of it is I used to be a piano teacher. So when no, I was it on your side. <laughs> when I was 13 years old, my mom started teaching me from four years old on. And I always had a capitalist side in me. I always wanted to work. I always wanted to make money. And so it was like this promise from my parents that when you reach grade eight Royal Conservatory of Music, you can start teaching beginner students. So I reached that by the time I was 13. And I spent my high school years teaching beginner students to a point where, you know, I'd have 20 or 30 students a year. I would do a full recital. So it gave me a, it gave me a really, gave me five years. Well, I did it after high school too. Let's say seven to eight years of teaching people of all ages, how to take a brand new concept and just break it down super simply. So I think that is something I really applied to the very first version of the course I put out where I made sure that no video was like longer than eight minutes on average. I tried to make them three to eight minutes. I try to give them templates and workbooks, everything that, you know, helps them work through the steps. Plus I was available in a Facebook group um, for live chats and questions and all that stuff. So that to me is the key when you're creating an online course today, which I absolutely love. But more and more as I buy courses and as I get feedback from students, that's a big part of it is, you know, we all have access to the internet, but when you're buying a course, it's to be told exactly what you need to do without the fluff so that you get the results. I think that's a big factor when I look back. Yeah, 100%. So from the course, what other revenue streams have you added in since then? I alluded to one earlier with the mastermind, but kind of how has that progressed and how much confidence did that give you to just kind of go full force with what you were doing with elisedarmor.com. Sounds so strange talking about you in the third person when it's you, but sometimes it's nicer to separate it, you know, like <laughs> it's a platform and yeah. Yeah. It's totally a separate thing for me as a person, but it does bring about a lot of questions as you probably know with a personal brand on the long-term plan for when you are your brand, there's a lot of flexibility, but it also, for me, sometimes is a struggle at this idea of like, I always have to show up, you know, should I create a brand that's not about me? But anyway, that's probably another conversation. And it's funny after I created my first program, Instagrowth Boss, I was sort of flying blind. I didn't have a coach at that time. And without that direction, I didn't really realize that I should have just gone all in on that course and done another webinar, done a weekly webinar, like continue to show up and sell it. I didn't know what to do. And it's funny. I thought that my audience wanted to know how to be a digital nomad. I thought they wanted to know how to run a social media agency. I kept pushing for that. And so without really asking them, I decided to create a second course, like a month after my first one, I was just in that cycle. And I created a second program called Freelance Biz in a Box. And the idea was that it didn't have skills training in it. But if you had skills from your day job or from my other program, Instagram marketing, you could take those skills and launch your own service-based business. So that's what the program walks you through. And that's what I did. Like I I think I had an idea in my mind, similar to Melissa Griffin at that time of, I need to have a suite of courses. I need to have my signature program and then all the supporting courses. But really looking back, 
And if you're listening right now and you have a course that's selling, do that, do that over and over again. You should be bored of talking about and selling that course, but if it's working and people are buying and getting results, don't distract yourself with other programs like I did. So that's what I did initially. And then it didn't really, it was fine. Like it sold, but it just wasn't as, you know, I launched that with a giveaway for a trip to Bali. Like I had these visions in my head that this was going to go viral. It was going to be all over the internet. That didn't happen. So I was a little dejected after that. And it took a little bit of time to find another mentor, to find a coach that could help me figure out what to do with this product that people really wanted. And, um, you know, it took, I mean, what year was this? I created this program two years ago and then it wasn't until this time last year that the idea of connecting with people in person became more top of mind. So while all this was going on, I was still doing my digital nomad thing. I would work from Nicaragua, um, A lot of times brands would reach out to me and say, hey, do you want to stay here for a month? It'll be free. Just promote us on your Instagram. Like I started doing a bit of that influencer stuff. And I would always share with my followers, you know, this is such a cool experience. It would be a real full circle moment to be able to have, to be able to host you, to be able to have this experience. And I happened to casually mention it. I wrote it in a blog post one time and people replied. They responded to that post and they said, hey, if you ever host a retreat or anything in person, I'll be there. Let me know. And so it started off as like a, hmm, I don't know, we'll see, to, yeah, selling, I think there were eight or nine people who joined me for the Lisbon retreat, just totally as an experiment. I didn't really do it to generate revenue or profit. I think I broke even on that one, but it was purely just to have that connection of, People I'd work with as students, people I'd coached, um, people I'd never met before decided to buy a ticket, meet me in Lisbon, work together for a week. That was the most mind blowing moment was that week for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny you say that because when I ran my first retreat by myself, I'd run it with a friend, Natalie McNeil before several times. But when I ran my first one in 2014, which popped up on my Facebook feed the other day, and I was like, man, was it that long ago? It was such a delight because just like you said, it's these people who you've known for a while, they've been your clients or they've been in your community and then they're actually flying out to meet you in person for you to host them for, you know, whether it's a couple of days or a full nine days like you did. It's just, you just suddenly, I think in that moment feel like, wow, these people value me and I have a role and responsibility to show up and just lead them to be their best selves. And it's such an honor as well at the same time. It does feel pretty special and you'll probably find and you already have the connections from those live in-person events go on for years and way beyond what you even created. So the friendships that people have formed from my ones, that they're still close friends. They still meet up around the world on their own mini retreats now. And this is from 2014. That's the stuff that blows my mind is that you're kind of a, I don't know, a a caveat or a, a way through which people can meet other amazing people and grow together. And that's when it becomes more powerful than you could have ever imagined. Right. Just a little tangent, but it's, this is why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And so you're planning more retreats, yeah? And Not at the time, more profitable actually. ones now that you know that. No? Okay. Ah. Now, why was yeah. that? Was it because it, you, you put your heart and soul into that? And I know when I met you on the final night for dinner, which you kindly invited me along to, I was like, I don't know how you've got this beautiful gaggle of amazing women who are just all in awe of you 
you and talking away and I was like you must be exhausted because I do retreats of like up to five days and this was day nine and you'd taken them everywhere so is that part of it is it that you'd want to rework the format so it's less exhausting and, and more nurturing for everybody yeah I mean that I was definitely riding an adrenaline rush that week and then I was exhausted as I attended another retreat the following week didn't learn my lesson. A few months later, I decided to launch a Bali retreat, um, which happened in the early 2019. And that was solely because a lot of the people at the first one said, we want to do Bali. Like that's the digital nomad experience. So I, I arranged that one and it just felt different from when I did the Lisbon retreat. The Lisbon retreat was such an experiment. It was fun. There was a lot of momentum. The Bali retreat was it just felt like I was just dragging it along. And, you know, I do love and appreciate everyone who ended up coming. A lot of people from Australia and Southeast Asia joined me just because it's close. But that one I made really long, nine nights. And yeah, it was, it was exhausting. It was just, it's not something I want to do on my own anymore. I'm more interested in partnering with someone or having a full-time team member run it with me. And I, I think the other thing that changed for me at the Bali retreat is, it doesn't have to be about the location, you know, and that's also part of me shedding my digital nomad skin, <laughs> gross visual, but you, you probably, <laughs> um, it, it's like, <laughs> it's less interesting to me because I've gone to a lot of these destinations and I'm so grateful for it, but it doesn't have to be about the destination. I realized there were so many people in North America, California, Toronto saying, Hey, are you going to do this in North America? Cause I, I just don't want to fly halfway around the world to Bali. Um, and so I think in the future I would do something that's less about the destination. Cause this one was nine nights because it was like business in the morning and then you had the day to explore, but some people didn't need that. Like, you know, we could just do something that's more condensed, keep it to the business trainings, choose an easy location like Toronto, where I live. <laughs> it will still be fantastic. Um, but it would just be, yeah, a different format, different audience. Um, right now that idea is on the back burner, never say never, but it's just not, um, not a priority until I kind of get my ducks in a row. All the Elise fans are going, no, make it so. But I, I totally hear you. And for me, my retreats were about a location because it was about the freedom that they wanted. And it was all about bringing them to one place and experiencing that offline time to really delve deep into them and the business. But I totally think for what you're doing, you're right. Like people could come to a one day workshop in each city and just learn so much and still take tons away from that. Which brings me to, you know, let's dive into Instagram before I release you so you can go and do more wonderful things because I have this, I don't know how to say it's a love-hate relationship with the platform, but I joined it like so many. I loved the photos on there back when I joined four or five years ago. Really didn't do much myself, liked a lot of photos, loved the beautiful imagery that came across, started using it for myself. And I still to this day, even with your help, and I hired you for a coaching session way back, which really useful information you gave me, but it's just one of those things where I think you just, you really need to look at how are you using the platform? What's your strategy and what is the return on investment on it? And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that when I finally did the Google analytics of my three month trial on 
YouTube properly, consistently, podcast and, you know, social in a really strategic way that it was just pitiful. Um, so I haven't been using it right. I document stuff. I love sharing my life, but that's not necessarily helping the people who, who want to learn what I want to teach. So I know how I've been using it incorrectly. But what do you say to the people like me who are just kind of like, oh, I feel like I've invested a lot of time, a lot of energy and coaching and courses and things, and it's still not working. Clearly, it's something I'm doing. What do you say to that person who feels like, ah, like where's the light at the end of the tunnel? Or is there some piece of universal advice you can give to people about whether it's for you or not? I know there was a loaded question, but I'm just really curious mm-hmm. to see what you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all really good questions. The first part of that is, is Instagram for you? It's for you if your target person is hanging out on Instagram. So for your brand, who would you say is your best person to meet? Who, who would that be? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've done quite a bit of work on this. So for me right now, I'm finding not necessarily an entrepreneur, but they are looking at different ways to get paid to be them. So they might be in a career, they might be a freelancer, they might have a side hustle, but they're really looking at ways of how can they teach, educate and earn income doing what they love through their skills and knowledge, but they haven't got it all sorted yet. They're just like looking at what the opportunities are. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. So someone who might still be in their day job or they haven't really started a side thing yet. Yeah. So, I mean, Instagram is a great place for that person. As you know, there are tons of accounts with business motivation, business tips, business inspiration. So I would say that would be the biggest shift is, and it's tough for personal brands to think about not making their brand about them. Yes. You're the face of it. And I'm, I'm in the exact same boat as you but I try to make all the pieces of content I share to be free value, free information for the followers, which I know you're very good at doing too. Cause I know you produce so much content as we've talked about. So yeah, it's, it's kind of finding that match. Like where is your person who's searching for help on how to get started? Where are they hanging out? And I would say that YouTube, Google um, would be great places. And Instagram is probably what they're scrolling when they're on their way to work when they're on their lunch break. So it's really serving like that kind of content when they have those moments, um, when they have those moments to themselves. So in terms of your profile, which I have right in front of me right now, um, you've had it for several years, right? And (laughs) you have 9,800 followers from what I look, from what I'm seeing, you have posted 30, almost 3,500 posts. You have put out so much content, which is crazy, which is not a bad thing. It's a bad thing. I'm just getting some perspective to whoever's listening. So you've obviously like put out a lot of content and you really don't need more followers. You need, as you know, a thousand people who care about what you have to say and who are going to take action and they're going to be those fans. And I bet you already have a thousand people who have bought something from you, you know, in the past, like those are technically your a thousand true fans. So for you, it's, I don't think you're wanting to be Insta famous. I don't think you're wanting to be that quote unquote influencer. You just want to make those connections with people who um, really resonate with your content. So this might be a little unconventional, but what I'm seeing with your profile is a lot of people are like not seeing the content based on how many people you, well, let's see, 9,800, 10% conversion would be quite normal for an account of your size or sorry, 10% engagement rate. So 9,800 people are following every post should probably be getting a hundred ish engagements, whether that's views or likes or comments. Um, and some of those posts are doing it like your videos are doing quite well. 
but then some of the text-based posts, people are just not as engaged. So it's twofold. It's either the content is not resonating with them. It's not hitting the mark. It's feeling too corporate. It's feeling too branded. It's not whatever. Or I'd be curious to, for you to start a new account from mm. zero and, you know, still keep your personal brand account, but maybe create an account that maybe is not based off of Natalie Sisson, but it's based off of building that community of people who are looking for ways to build a personal brand. They're looking for ways to become freelancers, entrepreneurs. And I know these communities exist and do, do they do well on Instagram. You would still be the founder, the person, the face behind that account. But I'd be curious to see just purely from an engagement perspective, even if you started from zero and I don't know if your account has like just been through a whole lot of stuff over the years and if that's in, something going on with the algorithm, <laughs> people just aren't seeing your posts as much, but I'd be really curious to see if you started a brand new account based off of the community theme that you want to build upon and maybe even just syndicate your content that's currently on your personal over there. But um, just to see if the engagement is, um, stronger there. And my guess would be, it would be, and I'm in the exact same boat as you on paper, 70,000 plus followers. I don't care about having that many people. If 98% of them don't see the content I produce. And that's the reality. Like if you look at the number of followers I have and the engagement I get, it varies between, it could be 700 likes to 4,000 views on a video, right? It's, it's a huge variance, but even if you think, well, 4,000 people out of 70,000 people, that's not that much. Um, it always looks great to me, but yeah, I see what you mean when you actually look at the percentage. And it's so it's funny you mentioned normal. that because I, I was thinking, what would it just take to start from scratch? I see some people start an account from scratch and they've already got way more engagement than me and they're posting good stuff, but I'm like, but I have so much to share and teach and it's getting yeah. lost in this void of, yes, probably some bad followers on there, some closed accounts because it's been there for so long. And, and yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. in my head going to be the untapped. I love it. Untapped. Well, I'm, I'm in the exact same position as you is, and I want to, sh- I want to create an account from scratch and I do grow several other accounts passively, but I want to create one from scratch too, to be more about a community, just to even prove to people like, Hey, I have this new account with a thousand followers and I can still track sales from the DMS or I can, whatever I'm tracking exactly just to prove to people that you don't need more than a thousand followers to actually monetize. So for you, it might also be a bit of that mindset shift too. And a lot of people who've been in business for several years, myself included, fall into the vanity metrics trap. I'm in the same position when it comes to YouTube. I'm looking at you. I'm like, oh, she's got 10,000 subscribers. That must be fantastic. (laughs) I have 500. I broke a 500 mark like yesterday and I was like, woohoo. But I'm like actively working on not getting trapped in that whole idea of like, meh, why, why isn't this working for me? Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not famous on, on YouTube. Like I know it's a long game. I know the keywords and the tags will eventually like really help to serve that content for a long time, but I'm in a very similar position. Um, and yeah, in terms of Instagram, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to start accounts from scratch that are community based and, um, the engagement rate will probably be 20%. It will just be way higher than my current account. And I might get more, you know, more of an uptick and more of a bottom line, um, effect back to my business from that account than my personal brand. So releasing the, what the numbers mean is, is a big part of it. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And the only thing I'll say there is when you, you do still need to look at the numbers to say if you're spending 25 hours a week on Instagram, which hopefully nobody is, but let's just, let's say you're even spending 10 and you are getting zero website visits, zero opt-ins, zero leads, zero new business, then you probably need to look at your strategies not working. But if it's working for you, like it has been for Elise and you're getting direct messages, you're getting new clients, you can actually see and count where it's coming from, then 100% keep it. And I think that's the thing that we as entrepreneurs or people just don't do. We don't analyze stuff enough. We don't step back, take the time and go, hang on a minute, which is exactly what I did. I'm committing all this time to creating this content. It's not on the right platform. It's not reaching the right people. It's just stop it and yeah. look at the right strategy. And, and that's more what I'm sort of asking. So I really appreciate your advice there. I mean, it works for the right people. As you said, you've got some great videos on your YouTube channel about niches that are working. And 100% I'm going through Elisa's course right now. So I'm going to drop the link to that in the show notes, which you'll find as well. It's great. It really is. You're such a good teacher. Like as somebody who's taught and put out a lot of courses, I was like, oh, I like the way she did that. And yes, I like the way you made mm -hmm. me fill in that template and just learning as I go. Plus it's so practical, right? right? You know, doing something with your Instagram account is just one specific thing to focus on. It's not an entire massive freedom plan. Um, and so I really appreciate that about what you've done there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go away and I'm going to really dive into it because I've already started. I'm going to apply it to the new account and we'll share some results back here on a podcast mm -hmm. maybe in a couple of months time. And um, what do you think is actually possible? I know that's a bit of a hard one, but if done right and following your great research, let's say in 90 days time from now, what sort of results do you think that I could achieve? Mm-hmm. So some of the case studies that I've published over the last few months are of people in Insta Growth Boss who have less than a thousand followers and they have made 20,000, 30,000, even $50,000 back to their business simply because they're focusing on that quality over quantity factor. They're not looking for the, the Insta famous numbers. And I know there are ways that you can like buy followers, buy likes. There are people who teach that. That's just not me. That's not my style. So yeah, majority of our case studies who have created significant revenue have less than a thousand followers. And what's the difference for them is they have the offer in place where they don't need a lot of people either. So a lot of them were selling like a ticket to a live event. Um, there were 50 tickets to sell, right? It was pretty limited. A lot of them sell coaching programs, group coaching programs. They're programs that are, you know, 500 or a thousand dollars. So if they bring in two sales from Instagram, that's $2,000 and they're tracking it like that does add up. So I would say that when you're going for the quality over quantity factor, which I believe we all should do, those who do really well with Instagram being a new revenue stream, a new funnel in their business, they typically have an offer in place that is a higher level offer. It's not, you know, a $27 ebook. It is a course, a program, a coaching program that is a significant investment. So I haven't looked at your offers in a while, but I do believe that you have some variety and that you'd be able to like really Instagram is about attracting that target person. And it's the best platform to create a relationship with, with someone in an online space. That's really what it is. Yes. You put out amazing content. Yes. You use the right hashtags. Yes. You show up in your stories that attracts them. But once they're attracted, you really want to establish that relationship. Maybe that's them grabbing your lead magnet, getting onto your email list, 
sequence kicks in, whatever. My favorite way to do it is through the DMs. So more and more you'll see my captions are about encouraging people to send me a DM, even if it's just for the link for my latest YouTube video. But every time we have that private conversation, you wouldn't believe what people like share to you when they feel like they have that private connection. Like they're sharing their struggles, their troubles, they're sharing their wins, they're sharing how they've been inspired. Some of my best results and testimonials have come from my, my DMs. And whether you are putting out content that's getting people to DM you is one thing. My favorite tactic is looking at your notifications. So when you're on your Instagram profile, you see the heart, go to the heart button. You can see all the people who have just engaged with your account. Look at all their profile pictures and whichever ones have a colorful ring around it. That means that they've just shared to their Instagram stories within the last 24 hours. So my favorite way to establish that private connection with someone is to look through my notifications, look at who's shared in their stories, tap on their profile picture, look at their stories and reply to their stories. By replying to someone's story, you create that DM thread if you've never talked to them before. So every time we're just like scrolling through Instagram, you know, tap on 10 people's profiles, look at their stories, reply to them. And you would just like, that's where the results happen. People are shocked that you're replying first of all. <laughs> They're like, oh my gosh, I follow you and now you're looking at my content? Like try it out, it's pretty funny. Um, and then, you know, start that conversation and I usually like to do voice notes, that's how you and I communicate mostly. Video, like there's so many great ways that you can surprise and delight people once you've created that, that connection, that private connection. And that just goes so much further than just that conversation because then you get to take it offline, so to speak. And as you said, they may well become a customer, but they may also just become uh, an awesome friend, a raving fan, an advocate, uh, and somebody who can refer you new business. So thank mm -hmm. you so much for sort of, I think, personalizing it and humanizing it rather than people getting so caught up. We haven't even discussed Insta ads, and I know you go into that in your course, and I'm looking forward to to really leveraging that as well. But Thank you. And we could talk for ages, but I'm well aware I want you to get your workout in. So where in the world can folks find you? You did allude to it earlier. Uh, what's the best place for them to connect with you? On Instagram over at Elise Dharma. Um, that's where you can keep up with my day-to-day -day journeys, especially my stories. And then EliseDharma.com has all my free blogs um, and freebies, obviously mostly focused on Instagram these days. And of course, your link that you're going to share as well to my free Instagram masterclass, which is over at instagrowthboss.com. Cool. Thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to see the future of where all these online social platforms go and how we use them in a more human community building way, as you say, mm -hmm. because I think we've gone a little bit too far the other way and people are craving the human connection. So thank you for being one of those yeah. truly real people who's leading in that front. I'm curious about it too, to be honest, because sometimes social media exhausts me and it's like, okay, what's going to be the plan that is going to be sustainable long-term that attracts the people we want, but also doesn't detract from our real day-to-day -day life. You know, it doesn't detract from our own mental health and mental wealth. So um, I think we're in this interesting point right now of all figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's what I like to share on my Instagram is what works for me. So yeah, we'll see what happens. New book you might love, Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I might do the digital declutter before I start the new account and then <laughs> share the results. Yeah. You can post it. I've heard really good things about that one. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, it's excellent. Thank you so much. Take care. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Untapped Podcast. So I really hope that you enjoyed this episode with Elise and I hope that you reach out to her on Instagram so that you can tell her whether you enjoyed this episode, what you learned from it, not whether you enjoyed it. I really hope you enjoyed it. Please also take a screenshot of where you're listening to this. Maybe it's a photo of you or this episode and tag both at Natalie Sisson and at Elise Dharma in it, just so that we know that you've been listening in and maybe one thing that you've learned from it, but just shout out be so great to see where you're tuning into this episode from and what you learn and make sure that you head across to nataliesisson.com forward slash zero two five because those are where the show notes are those are where the links are to some of the things that we talked about and the resources and also how to get your hands on her free masterclass about how to use instagram to grow your business and if you want to head directly there right now and you are available to type this into your mobile phone or your laptop just type in nataliesisson.com forward slash IGB, that stands for Insta Growth Boss Masterclass. That is a referral link because I love to refer great people. And so if you do watch that masterclass and go on to actually take her course, which I'm taking right now, I would love that. And uh, I get a little small little kickback from it because I bring awesome people onto this podcast. And by the way, I did not bring her on for that, but I have to say going through her course, it's one of the best ones that I have been through in a long time. As I said, Elise is a great teacher and I think she's done an excellent job and it's just so practical and actually fantastic for action takers. You've been listening to the Untapped Podcast. I'm Natalie Sisson. If you're enjoying these interviews, please let me know. Rate and review this on iTunes or Stitcher. It really means the world to me and it helps to keep this podcast relevant and for other people to find it. And we have surpassed 10,000 downloads a month and we're only going on the up from here. So please, 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 you if you could see me, I'm throwing my hands in the air with excitement. Please rate and review the podcast and tune in every single Monday for a fresh episode.